So hello and welcome to the New Gig Podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Hodgson, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Professor of Migration Studies at Maastricht University, Professor Dr. Melissa Siegel. How are you doing, Melissa? I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And I would like to just kick things off by just hearing a little bit about your background, your studies, and how you got to be sort of looking at the issues of uh, migration and related policy elements. Great, thanks. So um, I'm, a, I'm a professor of migration studies, as you mentioned, both at Maastricht University and the United Nations University Merit, which is a um, uh, kind of an agreement and a cooperation in Maastricht between the local university, Maastricht University, and the United Nations. And what's great about that is it actually gives me the opportunity to always wear two hats. So on one side to do the kind of traditional work of a professor, but on the other side to be able to do a lot of policy work with governments, international organizations, and also a lot at the UN level. So for me, it's kind of the best of both worlds, being able to also really help to feed into, well, what we hope is evidence-based policymaking. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's really interesting to have the sort of both roles and both sides of the equation there. And, you know, building on your studies, your research and your uh, knowledge in terms of the role that migration plays in the development of the, uh, the European economy uh, specifically, what are the kind of the, uh, the, the large trends that you're seeing at the moment? Well, Immigration is extremely important for Europe in general, the European economy, the public purse, economic growth, a number of other factors. So it's also important to look at the EU as a whole, right, or um, Europe as a whole. And when we talk about migration in Europe, we have both, you know, intra-EU migration, and then we have the migration of third country nationals or people who are not um, from uh, the, the EU. And both types of migrants are extremely important to the European economy. Mm. Um, so, for instance, uh, um, you know, 70 percent of the increase in workforce between uh, 2002 and 2012 was because of immigration. Immigrants really helped to fill in important skills gaps, labor shortages. Um, uh, they are really important for filling important niches in fast-growing, in both fast-growing and declining sectors within economies. Uh, we know that migrants themselves have a higher rate of innovation than natives mm. in most countries, and obviously, innovation is something that also helps to spur and fuel economic growth. And of course, you have kind of the direct side of the fact that immigrants are often more highly educated. Immigrants are often, you know, maybe more represented in tech sectors or the hard sciences, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. For instance, evidence out of the United States, for instance, shows a very clear linkage between immigration and patenting and immigrants in general, in general um, patent at a much higher rate than natives. Okay. But it's not only about these highly skilled immigrants, right? I think that's something that's more intuitive that we all think, great, yes, highly skilled migrants, let's bring them in. They're going to help um, with innovation, et cetera, et cetera. It's important to realize that low skilled immigration is also very important for innovation. Mm. So one of the most important areas here is that low skilled migrants help to free up time 
of more highly skilled natives um, or locals here. And in this case, we also see a disproportionate effect on female labor market participation. So highly skilled women are able to go into the labor market more. They're able to innovate more. They're able to use their skills more if someone else is able to come in and do more of the housework, the childcare, the domestic work, the yeah. care work. Um, and so I think it's really important that we're aware of both of these sides and that it's not only about highly skilled immigration, but low skilled immigration can have just as important of an impact. I mean, the, the, you know, there are so many different areas in which migration can contribute to, to labor markets and to the economies. You know, migrants, for instance, are um, often uh, having more entrepreneurial skills or they're opening new businesses mm. or small and medium enterprises at a much higher rate. Also, in many cases, we know that certain groups of Im immigrants are particularly entrepreneurial. So mm. there, there, there's so much there. And when we talk also about the public purse, we know that in general, immigrants pay more into welfare states, particularly in a European context, than they're ever going to get out of it. And of course, here with different skill levels and different um, wage levels, we can also see different impacts. And here, highly skilled are paying way, way more into the public purse um, than they are ever getting back out. So this is particularly helpful for European welfare states. Mm, okay, so it's the, the, the needing uh, uh, the the inputs, uh, both in terms of the talent, the knowledge, the time, but also the uh, the, the financial inputs, and maybe sort of uh, spotting opportunities on the market that maybe the local population uh, don't find. And I think Absolutely. this is really interesting, these angles that you're, you're, you're uh, uh, pushing across here, Melissa, because, you know, we're going through a period of time at the moment where the perception of migration and my migrants is sort of taking on a, a kind of a negative tone as well. It is, and this is particularly unfortunate. And we do see this more negative tone also, particularly in Europe now. And we saw mm -hmm. um, this turn even more after the so-called refugee crisis, you know, 2014, 15, 16, we really saw a change in perception of migrants. But it's also hard to talk about Europe as a whole in this regard, because we see quite big differences within the European context from country to country. Some countries seem to be much more open, much more welcoming, much more positive about migrants in general, countries okay. like, like Sweden, for instance, mm. whereas countries like Greece and Hungary and Italy within Europe have quite negative um, feelings towards immigrants. And I'm, of course, discussing this all in very big, broad brushstrokes. There are a lot of, of a lot of caveats to, to these things, but it is quite different within Europe. It, one of the unfortunate things also is that in Europe and maybe in some other places, even just the term migrant has somehow gained this kind of negative, dirty connotation, which is highly problematic. So, you know, when someone thinks of a migrant, what do they think about? They're thinking about a low-skilled person, maybe an irregular person. They're thinking about someone who's coming through the Mediterranean on boats. They're thinking of someone who's maybe um, not easily integrated into the country. Mm. And that's all very problematic because that's not the majority of immigrants. So I myself am an immigrant in the Netherlands. So I'm originally from the United States. I've been living and working in the Netherlands for quite a long time. I'm a decently well-integrated migrant, paying a lot into the public purse, paying my taxes, you know, all yeah. these, you know, I own six bicycles. So trying to be very Dutch, um, but, but, but more importantly, I'm not the person who comes to mind when the average European thinks about who a migrant is. And that's particularly problematic that mm. somehow migrant and migration has taken this very, kind of negative connotation in certain contexts when that's not at all how we should be thinking of it. And the majority of migrants and of migration 
is extremely beneficial and helpful. And, and, you know, it's also migration has been happening since the beginning of time. It's just, it's part of the world. It's part of our societies, you know, countries like the United States or Australia or Canada wouldn't even exist in the way they are today if we hadn't had mass migration to those countries. Mm. So, and these are some of the most prosperous countries in the world. So I think we also need to change the way we think and, and shift our mindset on, on migration much more. And who do you think is responsible for the kind of negative perceptions, given the fact that, you know, the, the, the figures are there for all to see in terms of the positive benefits, both culturally, uh, economic, but also uh, politically in the longer term that, that, that migration brings? Who's responsible for sort of this disconnect between uh, appearance and reality? Is it the media? Is it the political parties who are spinning a narrative which uh, sort of... Uh, uh, really f- fulfills their own ends as opposed to the reflecting the, the truth? So that's a good question. And I think it's a mix of several things. So, um, I mean, one, the media definitely um, is at least partially to blame. I think mm. also, and, and you know, negative news sells, right? You see right. so much more news in general all around the world on what is bad than what is good. Mm. And psychologically also the way humans function is that we remember bad so much more than we remember good. So you might have been told 10 really positive things, but you're going to remember that one bad thing because that um, that triggers a kind of fear emotion, which we are much more programmed to remember. Okay. So yeah. that's part of the problem, right? And then of course, yeah. um, political parties have also used migrants historically, not just now. I mean, also back in history, you know, I mean, uh, they've used these migrants are always the scapegoats they're the easy right. ones to point to as why we have problems because immigrants to a large extent unless they've gained citizenship are not voters so they're mm. an easy group to pick <laughs> on um yeah. that doesn't have a high repercussion in many regards um and it's again easy to play on people's fears um you know it's short-sighted but and uh, i personally think it's wrong but it's easy in a way. Mm. And then I think we are to blame also. So I already talked about, you know, the the psychology of a lot of these things. And we know that in general, um, from a psychological perspective, we as individuals prefer people who are more like us. And we trust people Hmm. who are more like us. So what does that mean? Like for myself, that means like psychologically, I am more inclined to perhaps trust, um, you know, a woman, perhaps a white woman who's particularly yeah. small and around my age range more, right? <laughs> so it's just like whoever's like us. Yeah. And so the the more we see immigrants coming in that maybe especially don't look like us directly, maybe have different languages, maybe have different cultures and religions, the further and further this distance is, um, the more psychologically we as individuals have trouble with this and we need to actively work against this because what we see is that as soon as people are put in direct contact with immigrants and get to know them as people their concerns diminish drastically and you see that areas that have highest concentrations of immigrants people are also the most accepting of immigrants and the opposite is true so areas that have the lowest number of immigrants are where people are the most fearful of immigrants so it's also Mm this fear of of the unknown. And there are a lot of, of course, policy things that we can do to try to fight against that and bring people together because we're all people and we all generally have the same basic needs and, and interests. And we need to focus a lot more on that. Absolutely. And how would you say that this uh, trend and themes 
have changed given the, the the pandemic and the last sort of year and a bit that we've been living through very strange times as well? Uh, how have sort of uh, impressions and, uh, uh, and issues and views towards uh, migration and migrants changed during this uh, the, the, the COVID-19 period? That's a good question too. And we've generally seen kind of two very stark contrasting differences there. So on one hand, during the pandemic, you've seen, you know, immigrants really being praised as being very important frontline workers, um, important medical care workers, doctors, nurses, um, other care workers really at the front line of the pandemic and really, uh, you know, helping, extremely helping the countries where they are based. And we've seen that also being recognized in many areas. And then you've seen also the opposite um, being the case where um, even politicians and the general public have created an additional fear of immigrants as being concerned of them being, you know, vectors of disease mm. transfer and them being the ones that are bringing in COVID. And, yeah. and, you know, and in many cases, it's not just immigrants, it's just anyone who is mobile has also brought this fear. But mm. um, this is, has been particularly problematic. And I think already for governments or political parties that were already more anti-immigrant, they've just seen this as an opportunity to do more fear mongering practically. Okay. So I do think we've seen this really kind of divergent paths and all over the world, we've seen mobility in general heavily decreased. So yeah. we've seen less movement of people. At the beginning of the pandemic, we saw also a lot of return when that was possible of immigrants back to their countries of origin because no one knew how long this was going to take, what was going to happen. We saw a lot of border closures, even to mm. their own citizens. So some yeah. countries were like, you need to get back by this date. Otherwise, you're not coming back until we don't know when. Mm. So we saw both a lot of return. So India, for instance, did one of the largest repatriations in history of, um, of Indian workers that were particularly in the Middle East and the Gulf states. Um, and then you saw lots of people also getting stuck. Uh, and in many contexts, migrants have also been, particularly lower skilled labor migrants have been hit harder by the pandemic from a health perspective than others, because in places like the Middle East or in, in other areas, you know, you have a lot of um, the housing of immigrants, especially in construction or in agriculture. So these kind of lower skilled workers, the housing that's provided for them are very, very small quarters, often not with great hygiene. And so yeah. that has meant that um, they and they were often even locked into there when lockdowns went on. So that mm. meant if one person got COVID, the spread was just incredible through these through these areas. So they have been definitely certain groups of immigrants have been disproportionately affected negatively from a health perspective. But immigrants also in general have been affected disproportionately from an economic perspective because of the sectors they're in, because of the less protections that immigrants have from a social protections perspective or a labor perspective in, in many countries where they are. Yeah. And we've seen that also affect remittances or the money that migrants are also able to send back to their families in the mm. countries of origin. And, um, you know, for 2020, the World Bank estimated a 20% decrease in remittances sent back to developing countries. So that's, of course, highly problematic for money getting to many of the people in the countries that need it most. So it still remains to be seen what kind of rebounds we're going to see and, and, and how that's going to play out in the future. Mm. And the, the the future trends here as well. You know, you said that uh, we need to 
get our crystal ball out and see what's going to going, going to happen in the future, Melissa. But when we're looking at the uh, uh, new forms of work, sort of utilizing uh, digitalization, the remote work, the ability to carry out services from uh, different locations, will this be something that will help uh, um, workers around the world that maybe they don't, in all cases, if it's service-led, they don't need to physically be in one place uh, they can do things remotely, be able to earn money through slightly different channels as well. Could this be a, 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 an incentive and, uh, and hopefully a, a benefit to uh, would-be migrant workers? So for highly skilled workers, absolutely. Um, you know, we already see that highly skilled workers have been extremely mobile previously, um, but they've also been able to do so much of their work, you know, just online or, you know, video yeah. conferencing or, or whatever. That's not so much of a problem. But in low skilled work, this is more of an issue, especially in service work, in construction work, in yeah. uh, um, agricultural work, although we're seeing also agricultural work being more and more mechanized. Mm. Um, but I do think that this kind of technological shift and particularly this teleworking is gonna have a much greater effect for highly skilled workers than lower skilled workers in, in coming into the future. Mm. And this, this is very interesting because, you know, we're seeing the sort of the, the opportunities being cr created by uh, digitalization, but at the same time, we're seeing an increase in freelancing, uh, short-term mm -hmm. contracts, maybe less of a, 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 a social net for uh, workers across the board, but particularly we're seeing that uh, some migrant workers can be on the front line in terms of being uh, impacted by these new forms of work. Yes, no, you're you're absolutely right in that regard, and you do see that you know migrant workers in some cases becoming being more and more of these freelancers. Um, you know, it, migrant workers in general often have less protections depending on the country they're going to and the country they are coming from, the sector that they're working in. You know, a, a sector that is traditionally very underprotected is domestic work, and domestic work is uh, disproportionately also occupied by immigrant workers and women. On top of that, so you mm. see that you know two already disadvantaged groups are are being even more disadvantaged. Um, so I think we have to look at all of these things um, much more separated and disaggregated. You know, for some they're going to be win winners, and others they're going to be losers. And we need to make sure that we are um, looking at those who are going to be more vulnerable, and that we also try to bring in some policies that can help to mitigate that. Excellent. And I think this is great uh, um, advice. And also we really sort of value the uh, level of knowledge, experience and uh, facts and figures that you can bring to bear on this, Melissa. So thank you very much indeed for your time and sharing your thoughts today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.